This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast. We're back for round two after, I don't know, it's probably been at least two, two years. years. Exactly, yeah. almost. Ben yeah. Heinzelman, Energy Domain. What's up, man? Uh, we skated into town today. You made it in town alive. Yeah. Barely. Ice storms across Texas. Yeah. Ben was like, hey, I'm going to try to make it there. We're driving down from Dallas. I told Jake, because I'm pretty- Fort Worth, not Dallas. Fort Worth, sorry. No, we don't associate with We don't associate I told Jake, I was like, highly doubtful that y'all made it down here in time uh-huh. for the podcast, but y'all made it down Dude, here. Dude, we, uh, uh, we did great. My guy, Preston, uh, got his dad's truck. Four by four, uh, we made it, and uh, I was telling Jake we smoked a couple seagulls on the way down too. Nice, yeah. So, nothing's gonna. Are good. you? Uh, are you a landman by background? Mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing's gonna stop the landman. <laughs> no, no, and it's kind of funny. I actually, I picked up one of my landman bros as well on the way down here because he needed a ride. His, uh, <laughs> he was supposed to fly out. And they grounded all the plane or all the yeah. flights. Um, so he just made, so, uh, a, he, made a he mentioned the same thing. Him. He was like, you know, our wives are always pissed off when we leave because they already hate Nate because yeah. we're gone for two days and all we're yeah. doing is having a good time and yeah. partying and stuff. <laughs> and then you throw in the, you know, the uh, the whole uh, ice mageddon and all that. Yeah. And they're inside with the kids. It makes it that much worse. <laughs> yeah. So, well, fortunately, this podcast will go out in a few weeks, and uh-huh. so there you um, go. Your wife won't know how much right. fun you have. Right. I, I expect yeah. a lot of pumpkin patch activities and park time. Yeah. Yeah. This weekend for sure. <laughs> so. so we gotta we gotta recap um and kind of catch up. It's crazy, it's been two years. I know. Time flies, man. Um but you guys um at the time of that podcast, you know, still had mineral wear. And mm-hmm. had this idea of energy domain, started working on it. Since then, sold mineralware, had an acquisition there, what, eight months ago? April, so, yeah. Okay, cool. So a little less than a year ago. Um, so we're going to dive into all of that, talk mm-hmm. about energy domain. Uh, first, let's uh, let's give everyone some context about energy domain and what that is and what you guys are working on. Yeah, so energy domains and only gas online marketplace now kind of also becoming a data company as well, which we'll talk about a little bit. Um, and uh, to kind of go back a little bit, um, you know, we, and I, and I talked about this a little bit on the last podcast, but it was becoming pretty evident, you know, as we were growing mineralware, we brought on a lot of these institutional buyers of minerals, not up, so on and so forth that were using the platform. And that was and, a platform to like manage minerals, Yeah, right? correct. Okay. So yeah, mineralware was a, it was a SaaS product, um, just a cloud-based solution to help mineral and royalty owners, static owners, or aggregators better manage their properties. So it merged public data in with revenue data, that sort of thing, document management, all that. Um, and so uh, over the course of the first, you know, four or five years, we kind of stayed more in uh, kind of the static owner lane, if you will. So kind of your, your older uh, family offices, uh, you know, uh, universities, hospitals, that sort of thing that own minerals, uh, wealthy individuals. And then it became necessary for us um, just because there was such a, a need in the space to move into that institutional side, um, which we did. They, they required more bells and whistles and specific features to track return on investment and all that stuff. Um, yeah. Slicing and dicing. And, and so the feedback we started to get from our clients on that side was, hey, you know, we feel like 
there's a gigantic opportunity uh, to create a more up-to-date marketplace in the space. Um, and, you know, they felt like we could leverage our technical expertise, building middleware and apply that to, to this new marketplace. And so um, that really was the genesis of Energy Domain uh, back in 2019. So I ran sales for middleware for five or six years. Um, and uh, we, I was our only salesperson there for a while. We brought on uh, a guy named Jason Fitzgerald who took over uh, sales for middleware that allowed me to jump over and, and kind of help start Energy Domain. And so it really took us, it was a little different than, um, than middleware, which was a first to market type product where we could kind of throw out a half-assed solution and commercialize it. Uh, this was something that, you know, you've had kind of some legacy systems out there uh, that have been around for a while. Um, and we felt like, you know, if we're going to roll something out, it's got to be better from day one. And uh, that obviously took time and capital. So it took us a couple of years to build the platform, another year to get our licenses and all that stuff. So we are a licensed broker dealer as well, which was, um, let me tell you. A bitch. Yeah. Well, the last time that I met with you guys, you know, I couldn't really talk about it at the time, but you know, that was probably the most stressful time of my life. I mean, yeah. you're going through COVID, um, which we'll get into this a little bit in the behavioral stuff, but the way that I'm wired, I have to be around people all the time. Yeah. And that certainly was not the case at the time. So at home with my wife and kids, just like the last couple of days. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, so it was, it was a time where we're building the platform, you know, we're burning through a lot of money every month. And each month that we can't get licensed, it's just another month we're not generating revenue. Yeah. Um, so it was stressful. Um, so anyways, we uh, uh, we kind of got through the licensing, which as you can imagine, you know, dealing with the feds and by, you know, in and it itself is already difficult enough to do that during COVID mm -hmm. where they're not all in the office at the same time. You know, they're, uh, it's all, everything's through Zoom. You're basically educating these people on what oil and gas is. And um, anyway, so we, we finally got through it. So we initially intended to launch actually February of 2020. Um, and uh, we, we actually didn't avoid launch because of COVID. We avoid launch, avoided launch because we wanted to go this broker dealer route. Ultimately, we made that decision literally like a week before COVID even became a thing. Mm -hmm. um, so we get down to NAEP. It was really more just kind of a, a show and tell more than anything else. Here's how the platform works, so on and so forth. Um, but we really were not in a place where we could start selling deals yet. You know, we were really trying to push it so we could start to make some money. But um, and honestly, if you can say COVID was fortuitous timing for anything, it really was for us because uh, it gave us another year to really kind of dial in the platform a little bit, add some features that we really had slated for V2. And it's V3. funny you say that because we kind of feel the same way about digital wall cutters. Yeah. We went to raise a seed round mm -hmm. in March, and I'm glad that we didn't raise at that time because yeah. it gave us a lot more time to really look inward and figure out our business model and mm -hmm. who we actually were as a company and yeah. think about products that we could build. And so it takes yeah. time, it takes time, yeah. takes you trying things. We explored a yeah. lot of different options. Oh yeah. Made some mistakes. On Did it all dime. our own dime. Yeah. And like, so, and then when yeah. the time was ready, then we were able to, you know, cause I mean, had that trajectory not been dialed in and say you're 10 degrees off. Right. And you just, you know, hit the NOS button, no. right. You end up two miles from where you need to be. Yeah. There's no question. And I think, uh, I, I happen to think it was more of a divine intervention type thing. Um, if we had launched, in February, we would not be a business today. There's no question in my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it gave us the option. We built kind of a fully automated, uh, well, fully, mostly automated uh, closing dashboard that we've integrated with escrow.com. 
Uh, and that that's kind of a product in and itself. Uh, so funny. I've never sure been that, on escrow.com until yeah. 30 minutes ago. I had to sign up for oh, nice. to buy this domain. <laughs> so it's funny well, if you, you need a contact over to, there. It's funny that you brought them up. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was the biggest thing you guys learned? Like you said, you wouldn't be in business had you not, or had you raised money at that time. Or would have like COVID just killed you because well, deals weren't happening? Or I, like, Well, both. that, I th I'd say that's number one. But also I think with something like this, you really kind of have one shot on the, on the A&D side for, with your reputation. Yeah. And so you push something out that just is not as good as the competition. You know, there's there's no reason to to go with us. Yeah. You know, um, and so uh, you know, for us, we've really had to kind of chip away. I think that at times there's a negative stigma around buying and selling properties online for whatever reason. I think fortunately for us, um, you have a lot of the kind of the boomer generation uh, that is uh, retiring. You know, and those are those were kind of the folks that initially were uh, kind of the the headwinds, I guess, if you will, for selling properties online. If I, if I had to imagine, I'm kind mm. of, uh, rushing to judgment a little bit, but, um, now you kind of have the millennials, so. yeah. <laughs> but you have the millennials that are taking over these managerial positions. And we all grew up putting in your social security number on websites and here's my driver's license. Like we're not thinking twice about anything yeah. like that, you know? So, um, it's a lot more, it's much more of an accepted type thing in our industry today. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, literally today we just dropped 25 racks on a domain. I mean, there you go. You just do that. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. Get that online. Yeah. So, you know, we, so once we uh, got our licensing and all that, we finally launched in June of 21. Okay. Which was, um, you know, that, that, that it was perfect timing, you know, with the commodity environment, it kind of come back a little bit. You know, there were people starting to warm up again to, to buying and selling oil and gas properties. So when we first launched, just from our, Mineralware days, as I mentioned, you know, we we had non-op aggregating companies as well. A vast majority of our client base, though, were mineral and royalty aggregators or legacy owners. And so that's the world that we came from. Um, and so, you know, as you can imagine, most of our deal flow uh, day one was really kind of slated that direction. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, in the first, um, I should say the first six months, I mean, we could really started to gain some momentum, started to sell some deals. And honestly, I remember the first deal so, cause you, you kind of conceptualize this whole thing, right? In your head, you go to bed at night, you grind on this stuff, a lot of blood, sweat and tears. And you're always kind of thinking like, what if, what if we don't even sell a deal, you know? Um, and the, you know, I remember getting a call, like the first, first person that wanted to transact to one of our buy it now prices, it was like Christmas, you know, we got that first deal underneath us and it was kind of, uh, it was just balls to the wall at that point um, probably a pretty good feeling like, oh, oh it was shit, amazing this. yeah it was amazing actually um, worked <laughs> yeah exactly and then just to get the validation from a lot of folks uh that you know we had a lot of people that i've talked to that are just in my network from day one that when i talked about the negative stigma of buying and selling online um a lot of it is because you know there are other there are other places that will host assets that might be really really carved up and a lot of the institutional buyers might might avoid going there looking at deals just because it doesn't kind of fit the normal uh, profile of, of a full asset sale, which is what a lot of the institutional buyers are looking for. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I think we were able to kind of turn that around. I just don't, I don't allow a lot of the the super chopped up stuff on our, on our platform, which is there some revenue we're missing out on? Certainly. I think that, um, you know, half of it for me is, is reputation and trying to maintain a, a positive image on that side. Um, yeah. So, so let's talk about, um, you know, for you, like, what does an institutional deal size, like, minimum look like for y'all? You know, you talk about, like, um, 
not having like broken up assets. I mean, are these deals that are like $10 million minimum deals? Um, is there anything from like an economic perspective of what qualifies in your mind? Well, when I say chopped deal? up, what I mean is guys that will go buy and I'm just, I'm just making up examples here, but a hundred net roll takers and they carve it into a hundred different lots, right. For, in like the same section, mm -hmm. essentially. Um, you know, that we just made a strategic decision early on that that's not the route we wanted to go. There's plenty of other platforms for that, and that's mm -hmm. great. Uh, ultimately, for us, we wanted to be able to get into some of the larger deals as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, that's that's really what I mean by gotcha. chopping up deals. Yeah. Now, that being said, I had, you know, I've had guys come to me with three to 5,000 at Royalty Acres in Oklahoma or elsewhere, and they'll say, hey, what what do you think is the best way to squeeze a dime, you know, squeeze the the, the most dimes out of this uh, out of this deal? In a lot of cases, it does make sense to to kind of carve up geographically, you know, a certain subset of properties and and auction it off. Not only just based on the geographics of it, but also the deal size, because mm. obviously you get into kind of the the fifty k up to like half a million range. Your buyer pool obviously increases pretty dramatically because yeah. you have individual investors that are just wealthy that that want to buy into oil and gas. They think it's cool, or they just obviously with what's happening in the markets today. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's attractive to them. Yeah. So this is, this is operated properties, non-ops. Yeah. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, it's kind of the direction I was going is we started with minerals and royalties initially. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it became pretty evident that, uh, with, uh, with how competitive the mineral space and the royalty space has gotten over the last several years, um, there's a lot more capital now chasing non-op. Um, it's very obvious. And so that really was just kind of a natural Evolution for us, we started to bring on more non-op deals. I would say now um, 35 to 40% of our deal flow is non-op. Um, we just sold our first operated package package uh, this last month, which has become now a focus for us as well. Obviously, we're, we're never going to ignore an entire vertical of uh, oil and gas property sales. Um, and so we, we club, because we've been focused kind of in these first two initial verticals of you know, minerals and not up. Uh, I knew there was a lot more meat on the bone. And so um, we closed on, we raised some capital in December that we closed on. I know you and I've talked about it quite a bit uh, in y'all's process as well, but um, that was a huge weight off our shoulders. But let's, let's talk about that. Cause I mean, <laughs> yeah. closing capital in December of 2022 <laughs> yeah. was if you're closing any amount of capital in that time, like, yeah, congrats. Cause well, we, we raised a little bit of equity too. Mm -hmm. um, closed a bridge round. You guys uh, closed, and there's not a lot of people that were closing any amounts of money yeah. in that time. Yeah, because it's probably the most brutal time in the last 15 years for any type of fundraising, just given yeah. the macro environment. There's a lot of gray hair for sure. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, we spent you know we we spent six to seven months you know trying to raise a larger number, um, and then realized pretty quick like, hey, for us to build some additional products and, and solutions, you know, it's going to take X and what's the best way for us to do that? You know, so we just broke it up into smaller pieces and we had it filled out in three weeks as opposed to the first six or seven months. Yeah. So it was really kind of a light bulb uh, moment for us. Uh, it was one of those things we were raising the first round. I know you guys kind of ran into this as well, but you know, you're kind of getting to a place where you have all these people that are really interested, love working with you. And they're like, yeah, but tell me when you get a lead and then I'll, Follow yeah, on. yeah. It's like, well, no, that's why I'm calling you. <laughs> but yeah. I, on our side of GW, we've been very fortunate that we've like had uh, several people that were very quick to be first, that's first great. money in, and so you get that one, and yeah. that always that always feels good to, oh, yeah. to build some momentum on that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's uh, 
anyone that makes fundraising sound like easy, oh, it's horrible. We'll go raise some money. Like, well, sucks. I'll be honest. Like our, dude, our, the, our deal flow slowed down pretty dramatically uh, from you know September through November. Yeah, because I was spending seventy five percent of my time fundraising. I was, you know, that's I was, the, I was half of our business development. Dude, no, <laughs> that that's that's what. Jake yeah. can attest to how many conversations I've yeah. brought up. I'm like, man, I would rather just stop raising capital and help folks in the business instead. Yeah. yeah. Help so, sales and like, yeah, make some money. So I know it's a huge weight off of our shoulders to get to that point. And what I'm really proud of is that, so we brought on four new investors. Three of those investors are mineralware clients. And the fourth one is a guy who has bought and sold properties on energy domain. Nice. Um, so these are guys that, you know, they trust us as a management team. They've, they've seen us, you know, create solutions in the past. And so let's talk about the platform a little bit because, um, you know, it doesn't sound like it's just a listing service. Um, you said that institutional investors require some more bells and whistles. So let's talk about like what you guys actually do as a platform, um, you know, say, Operator X has an asset on there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, are you guys actually facilitating the transaction? Like, is revenue passing through the platform? Or are you just connecting a uh, buyer and seller, giving some information? Are you running any type of analysis on that asset before you put yeah. it on the platform? Like, tell us. I don't know. That's like super loaded. Yeah, that's right, a lot right. of, it's, a lot of it stuff. But. Yeah, no, that's a good question. It depends on the type of asset. You know, the. Uh, the smaller transactions, uh, typically, especially if it's like a really straightforward royalty deal, you know, we'll take an upfront deposit, um, and um, you know, we'll uh, typically that will flow through. Well, you know, we'll hold it in escrow. Yeah. Um, and uh, we we will facilitate the closing that sort of thing. So you know, there is some administrative. Uh, there's an administrative piece that, that goes on in the background. You know, obviously in a in a perfect world, if you could automate that fully that would be wonderful uh, you know unfortunately the entire industry is used to kind of having their hand held and you're really just kind of a step behind if you don't have a white glove approach on that yeah. side um so the money is not you know technically flowing through us until the deal closes you yeah know, and then we keep our you know the deposit essentially as a commission yeah so um but yeah that's that's kind of the high level it just you know it's from from under from an underwriting standpoint so um, we don't have like a full-on technical staff at this time. That's kind of part of what this raises for. So our COO, uh, Malcolm Smith, is former head of subservice at EQT for several years. And he mm -hmm. moved his family down from Pittsburgh because he believes so much in what we were doing. Um, there's not many guys that are as, as smart as he is. You want to talk about somebody that covers up my weaknesses. I'm kind of big picture dumb landman guy. He's the, uh, he's the grinded out ops guy. You talked about like trying to hire an integrator. Yeah, he is. He's our integrator. Um, and um, so anyways, we we have several deals that we're working on now where I can have him step in. And he has all these tools already built, you know, in Spotfire and whatnot, where he can he can run some economics extremely quickly. Yeah. Um, so it just depends on the type of asset, um, you know, usually based on especially some of the larger deals. We'll do a seal bid. Um, and, you know, in that case, like it's really more than anything, we're just trying to give the seller a general range. You know, buyers are always going to underwrite their own economics and all that anyways. Yeah. So that's kind of the the general gist of it. Long term, I would say uh, I never want to be a shop that has five or six engineers on staff. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd really like to use tools when we can. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, it's unavoidable to have a couple of folks on on staff to handle those larger transactions. So you, guys, you, you said you were, you were glad that you guys didn't launch when you originally 
were going to launch because you wanted to build a product that was at least, you know, better than what you thought was currently on the market. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about that on kind of diving into both the buyer and the seller side. Like how do you guys see yourself differentiating in the market? I would say number one is the speed in which we can create listings. So we built some, some pretty incredible tools in the front end that. that it, usually a pretty long process. Yes. Yeah. Usually you're taking documents from sellers, trying to aggregate information, uh, map properties in, in the event that the seller even wants them mapped, um, you know, mapping wells, pulling in revenue information, jibs, you know, LOE, the whole deal, like a lease operating statement. Um, so, you know, obviously from our days at Mineralware, we kind of, we spent years um, trying to understand the process of revenue check stub data, revenue, or uh, uh, jibs and, and all that stuff. And so we've applied a lot of the same concepts to, uh, we have a couple of engines that, that we've built that, that process all that data, provide a lot of visualizations, automat properties, uh, automat, you know, automatically associate API numbers and all that. So we can pull in, you know, an asset, let's say it's a 2000 well asset. Somebody gives us a list of wells in counties and states. And then, you know, in less than five minutes, we can spit out a CSV that pulls in the APIs and also maps them in Esri, which we use as our, as mm -hmm. our just kind of base uh, mapping platform. So I'd say that's that's kind of number one. Um, so we're really set up to scale as we brought on a, a couple more business development folks, which I'll talk about in a bit. Um, but then also on the buyer side, so there's still a lot of tools we want to add on an eval, from an eval standpoint. We are, so from our middleware days, you know, we, we put all the same processes in place any of the big data providers did early on to pull in state data. So from all the producing states. Um, so we've normalized, kind of scrubbed that data. Now we're in the process of running all of our own allocations as well. Um, obviously, Malcolm is, is helping a lot with that. So there are some things that we can do with that um, through other products, which I won't go into a whole lot of detail yet on that. But um, most importantly, from the buyer side, we will be build, building in a valuation tool as well on energy domain, just kind of a high level. We're not trying to replace a combo curve or Aries or any of those guys, you know, any of those yeah. uh, platforms, but just a, a high level tool where, you know, because most, most guys nowadays, when they're underwriting deals, it's a finance guy or a land guy that's getting the first look at it before they pass it off to their engineer. Yeah. Right. So why not provide some very quick tools to eyeball it, to go in? Yeah. And say, yeah. Hey, here, you know, I'm discounting PDP at. 9%, 10%, uh, underwriting puds at 20%. These are ducks, so I'll underwrite them at 15 or whatever. You know, there's something that's that's really high level. Um, so that's kind of the direction we're going. Right now, we provide, so when we sold Mineralware, we retained all the IP behind all the well data and all that and production data um, and licensed it back to Mineralware. So we retained all that. And so when a buyer is looking at an asset, instead of just looking at a VDR of just the asset, it also provides a three mile offset of all the public data that's updated daily. Mm -hmm. So when a buyer is looking at an asset, there's a new permit that's filed in that three mile offset, they get a notification. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that we can do with that, um, which we will long-term, but I would say those are kind of the two main things. And then the last piece is just getting into the closing. Um, so, and how we've kind of automated the, the closing dashboard and, and the, there's one other thing on the buyer side I didn't touch on, which is buyer preferences. So we wanted to to get pretty granular, you know, in what buyers are looking for. Obviously, we we capture some of the information and the data behind it. Not not that we're selling that or anything, but it helps us better target and and serve our client base. You know, so when somebody creates a listing or or a buyer is getting on our platform, they're looking for a specific type of asset. It's not only, hey, I'm looking for minerals and you know, in the Midland Basin, it's I'm looking for minerals in the Midland Basin, cash flowing 
five to 25 grand a year, or I'm sorry, 25 uh, grand a month between five and 25 net royalty acres, you know, just kind of a specific metric mm -hmm. like that. So the yeah. second that, because we're capturing everything down to that granular level of detail, when an asset goes up that meets that criteria, it's automatically notifying our buyers, just like it would on Zillow or any of the yeah. similar real estate platforms. Yeah, earlier you said that y'all's mechanism is sealed bid um, for the auction process. Um, we actually have, have three. Okay. So we have a normal auction, which was is kind of more relegated towards it's kind of a whole another conversation. But so we have a, a typical like live auction, like an eBay auction. Yeah. It's a it's a uh, proxy bidding type concept. Then we have a negotiated sale, which is just a I make you an offer, you send me a counter offer back and forth. Yeah. And then we have the seal bid as okay. well. Um. So I spent like a year learning about auction theory. I remember you telling me this yeah. in the last, yeah. Did, uh, yeah, did we talk about <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah. That, yeah. Did I give out the winner's curse? No, you didn't. Fact? Okay. So. so have you heard of the winner's curse or um, the buyer's curse? There's this part of economic theory and auction theory that um, if you win an auction, you overpaid for an asset. Yeah, right. And you know who it was coined by? It was uh, petroleum engineers. I can't remember the operator, but it was like back in the 80s. Yeah. And they developed this whole thesis that through buying oil and gas properties, like, yeah, you won the auction, but we always overpaid for the asset every yeah. single time. And so I think it's funny how it's a bunch of oil and gas uh, folks that were the ones that stumbled upon this economic theory of the winner's curse. Yeah, that is funny. Um, and then bringing up like uh, your like eBay type um auction there's actually uh this harvard business school case study about ebay auctions i mean they almost don't exist anymore like yeah. everything's buy it yeah. now mm -hmm. and so 2008 i mean sharp drop off in mm -hmm. ebay auctions and so there's you know all these theories about why it was you know maybe there was just too much information out there and there's really no need for yeah. auctions but actually what it was was the rise of social media mm -hmm. uh harvard determined because people would just sit there and bid as entertainment right. in these auctions, <laughs> and then once social media took their attention, right. they didn't uh, they didn't need the auctions to yeah, get that I don't dopamine know if hit. Are going so, going energy domain to like just to spend time bidding on two hundred thousand dollar properties. Well, I, I don't know. At least, at least I don't know. I mean, Tom Rich is shit, dog. <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe. Oh, one night just <laughs> actually. It, and right as I said that, I started to think about some of the people I know have bought properties. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know. That we've got <laughs> a guy that's up in New York. He's he owns a uh, recycling business. Oh yeah. And he literally, he'll literally just start like he'll start throwing out offers on or like he'll start placing bids on stuff. Yeah. And I kind of have to like hold him back. I'm like, let's make sure we talk through this you know yeah. um but that is in his situation like that is just straight up play money yeah so it'd be just nice gets, it'd be really nice gets drunk one night and starts yeah so you said you get the auctions you get the seal bid what's the third one negotiated sale okay yeah. so what's the difference okay what's the difference between so all three of these? an auction and it really just it really depends i mean auctions are typically relegated towards uh really heavy pdp assets that are you know, under half a million, typically, um, you know, and we're still, we're still learning, right. Um, and kind of what works best in certain scenarios, but that's kind of been my experience just cause there's a lot less subjectivity. It's a math equation oh. at that point in time. Um, negotiated sale is typically more of a, um, you know, a seller's preference type thing. So if, if they're not in a huge hurry and they're just wanting to, I, I don't like to use the term test the market because we don't like to put stuff up unless a seller's serious. 
but um, you know, they're more of a, I, you know, I don't really know what it's worth. I just want to kind of put this up and see what's going on and receive an offer. Um, seal bids are typically uh, good for assets that have a good combination of PDP and upside. Um, you know, so I'll give you an example. We had a, uh, we had a guy um, that was underwriting one of our Hainesville packages and on a negotiated sale, you know, once somebody reaches a deal, I mean, it's off the market, yeah. right? So I get a call from one of the other buyers that was underwriting this deal. He's like, Hey man, like what the hell I spent, you know, I had one of my engineers spend four or five days underwriting this thing. Had I known that it was almost under contract, you know, I wouldn't have spent that time or I would have done it earlier. And of course my initial response to that would be, well, like that's, that's just how, that's just how it goes, you know, sorry, but I can't understand the frustration. Um, and so for something that is, uh, more upside that, that has some upside to it. It, it is there. It does take more time mm -hmm. to underwrite an asset like that. And so we do like to kind of make it a level playing field where it's like for an auction and a seal bid, you have a firm end date, right? Cause there's a lot of people that yeah, yeah you have to, I mean, yeah. Cause all right. those are price discovery mechanisms, right? And mm -hmm. it's like buying this domain. Like, yeah, the seller says that it's worth, you know, 30,000, but I don't think it is. And so I offer yeah. a, a price, but you can't run an auction because I'm the only buyer in the market. And so there's not, you know, multiple buyers yeah. or a time limit to do it. And so auctions are always used for price discovery and they work well if you have multiple buyers and you have a firm end date. The problem with oil and gas assets is that the nav can change yes. on a month to month basis. Well, we just had, yeah, we had an auction not too long ago where in that time period, gas just got absolutely hammered, yeah. you know? So when we underwrote that asset, like before it went up, it was a totally different number yeah. um, than, uh, you know, than, than obviously once the auction ended. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a double-edged sword for sure. But, you know, we initially, so when we launched just because I, you know, I think I mentioned this on the last one as well, but we didn't want to look like idiots, like pushing out an auction, not getting any bids. Mm -hmm. um, even though we had spent two years, like just rigorously testing this, this, this uh, bidding modal that we had built. Um, but you know, there was a, a point early on where I just said, you know, let's wait until I feel like we've at least established a smidgen of buyer saturation. Um, so everything was negotiated sale to start out just cause it obviously, you know, we had more listings and, and so on and so forth. Um, and now we have close to 4,000 users, you know, and so we have, nice. and, and yeah, so it's, it's been great. We haven't spent hardly any money on marketing either. Um, so we feel like we're on a pretty good trajectory, but. We felt like once October, November came around, it was really time to start testing those out. And uh, kind of like the first sale we did, just seeing the first auction go through and it actually closed and go through smoothly. It was kind of like, okay, well, I'm really, I'm really glad me uh, grinding on you know, <laughs> testing out little features here and there. And one auction going back, I can't tell you how many emails and uh, Jira tickets I had to create back to our team. Uh, we use an offshore team in India to yeah. do some of the heavy lifting. Yeah. Um, so anyways, that, that was, but now, you know, we, so we launched auctions and then we, we built out the new seal bid feature. So that was a new feature that we cool. released in November. Yeah. It's always a good feeling when you find actual product market fit. Yeah. It's like, that's <laughs> like our events. It's like nice when you put yeah. in all this work and people actually show up sure. and have a good time and you're like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, <laughs> it's, but trust it's me, even like the day before you're like, fuck, is anybody going to show <laughs> yeah. up? Right. Like, yeah. I know we pulled it off like 20 times, but like it this never, could be the one. It yeah. It gets, yeah. You know, a hundred percent. I can, I can absolutely level with that. So, so, um, how do you guys make money? How do we make money? So everything is on a, you know, it's transaction fee yeah. right now. 
Um, we do have a, a premium model where, you know, buyers can sign up uh, to look at deals a week in advance. It's okay. 150 bucks a month. Nice. That's not a huge chunk of our business, obviously. Yeah. Um, we are, as I mentioned a second ago, just on the data front, we are building a product um, that will be a, a, a low monthly cost. We, we anticipate- Can you talk much about what that's going to be? So I can give a high level. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's, we're going to use public data. Um, yeah. You know, I, I won't go too much into it yet. Uh, at some point, you know, I would like to work with you guys on that, but- I'll come, I'll come on a show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully not that long. No, we're, so this other product, you know, we're going to be releasing it hopefully at the end of the year um, or early next year, depending yeah. on timing. Um, but that will- the the goal is that by 2024, you know, more than half of our revenue is recurring. Cool. Uh, so we'll see where it goes. Uh, but Sweet. that was a lot of, you know, the, the capital raise, it, um, you know, I'd, I'd probably say at least half of that is going kind mm -hmm. of going towards this data piece as well. That's nice. exciting, man. Yeah. So if there are investors listening to the show or owners of assets that want to liquidate assets, where do they find Energy Domain? Is it energydomain.com? Energydomain.com. Cool. And I'm very publicly facing. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. It's on Twitter. Yeah. You're really um, cool with him. He's on Instagram. I'm on Instagram as well. Yeah. <laughs> Colin and I, Colin and I had get some DMs, see him doing his, throwing on his rucksack and whatnot. I was DMing him the other day, like, hey, where do you get your weights? Man? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's funny. I'm, I'm kind of interested in checking that because I, I just like being outside, you know? No, one of, uh, before you walked into the office, uh, Boss was like, you've been rucking in this cold weather? I'm like, hell yeah, I've been rucking. He's like, oh, you haven't been posting Instagram stories. I was like, I figured people are probably tired of seeing my stories. I was like, although like six or seven people have started rucking. Oh, I bet. Them, so. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I, I enjoy it. I don't love uh, running, you know. I mean, I used to. I played soccer growing up. It's yeah. kind of thing. Um, yeah, running actually hurts me. No, yeah, so no, I yeah. Like so it's yeah, it takes yeah. Once you get in your thirties, man. Yeah, they <laughs> start to uh, start recovery is a little longer. Jake, uh, I've been trying to get Jake to start rucking again, but he's got like nam flashbacks from doing it in the Marines. So <laughs> he it wasn't like, fun when it was <laughs> yeah. mandatory. Yeah. And you had like hundred pound packs. Yeah, do it every day. Yeah, yeah, I can I can see that. Um, no, I just I like getting out. So you know, just in the last few weeks. So my wife works at a school in Fort Worth called All Saints. Um, she's a fourth grade teacher. And so my kids go there too. And so she takes them, you know, probably half the days of the week. And the other days, like they leave at seven o'clock. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to do with free time. Like what do I, you know, <laughs> yeah. so if it's nice, I'll just go on like an hour and a half walk. I'll throw in a podcast or oh, yeah, just yeah. answer perfect, emails or whatever, you know, I don't rucking, uh, Yeah. Rucking right. Situation. And I live in a very, very undulated neighborhood oh do you yeah so like you said i think yeah. walking up the hills might be uh the route to go that's the secret that's the secret that jeff messina <laughs> secret to actual so survival. you run down you run down the hills and, and walk up them right. so cool we're gonna start getting oil and gas rucks uh like going, going like on it, so man. cool man well dude appreciate you uh taking the time to come on the show i know you've got a uh, busy agenda with nape and making it might be time for IC, a cocktail so yeah, uh, I'm sure you got uh, a long few days planned ahead of you. So if you're listening and you want to check out Energy Domain, uh, can anyone sign up for an account to check out deals? Yeah. Do you need to be an accredited investor to sign, yeah, so sign you, up? You get so. On, yeah, so you get on your checkbox, you know, uh, just to verify that you're an accredited investor. 
we don't ask up front for bank information. That's something we might ask for, you know, once we get into closing and yeah. placing offers and all that. But yeah, so that's kind of the high level. So you like don't this, you don't I feel have like to, this is the part since he's a broker dealer where I have to give out the disclaimer. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. So we, uh, yeah, when, when you cite it's free to create an account, um, you check a few boxes, you can look at deals. And then once you actually want to make a bid, we'll collect ID information and all that. Cool. So if you're listening, you want to check it out. Hop over to energydomain.com. We will leave a link to the website in our show notes. Please share the episode with a friend. I've been like begging at the end of every episode. Like, please share. Please share our show. Please clap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll catch you guys on the next one. Go, 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 go.